0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Get ready to meet yet another creative, accomplished force of nature whose passion and mission is music. Angelica Durrell, an Ecuadorian-born violinist, educator, and social entrepreneur, is the founder and executive director of Intempo an intercultural organization whose goal is to make classical music and native instruments relevant, accessible, and inclusive, and does so through innovative youth development and community engagement programs. Angie began her musical training at the National Conservatory of Music in Quito when she was just six years old and continued her studies when her family moved to the United States and settled in Connecticut. But Ecuador has remained an integral part of her life. Angie was a guest concertmaster of the Ecuadorian National Conservatory Symphony Orchestra and performed with the National Symphony. The University of Connecticut Center for Undergraduate Research and the U.S. Embassy in Quito funded her 2010 research trip back home, which then led to the first international tour of Yukon's Collegium Musicum Ensemble. Angie was the artistic assistant. Five years later, she was invited to perform for Pope Francis on his first visit to Latin America. Angie's commitment to the world of classical music has been sought after and championed. The National Assembly of Ecuador awarded her the Immigrant Women Award. She's the recipient of the Sphinx Organization's inaugural Empower Artist Development Grant, an artist ambassador for Spread Music Now has served on numerous local and national arts grants panels, including the National Association of Latino Arts and Cultures, and has served on numerous local and national art grant panels. So that has to do it for now, because we want to meet and get to know this accomplished, passionate powerhouse, Angie Durrell. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining me remotely today.
1: Hi, Sandy. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and honor to be uh, featured on your podcast.
0: I want to start with you as a six-year-old child. What? <laughs> sure. How did this happen? How did music enter your life? And were you playing a violin when you were a toddler?
1: <laughs> I come from a long lineage of musicians from Ecuador in my mother's side, and I am a sixth-generation musician. Um, so my grandpa plays the accordion, the piano, all keyboard-related, and he was a kaplmeister. organist at multiple churches in Ecuador, Um, and then his next generation, my mom, my uncles, they all play music, guitar, piano, and they're quite known and famous in Ecuador. So for me, as their young niece, it was inevitable to put an instrument and to make me part of music. So my uncle bought me a violin since it was an instrument that he had always wanted to learn himself. And then I began playing and taking lessons, and my grandpa would teach me how to sing and took me to the church every Saturday to sing with him on the radio broadcast of the Mass. So music was always our every day at home with my cousins, and that's how we had fun, actually.
0: But what's interesting about that is just because you come from a musical family doesn't mean you've got musical talent. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: That's right. And that's something that I always want to emphasize, especially for our, our students or children that are aspiring musicians or that want to pick up an instrument. It's not guaranteed to be in your genes. And it takes a lot of effort and discipline to to become a musician. So one of my teachers used to say, talents does not play the violin. <laughs> and I used to remind myself that every time because sometimes I knew I could get an excerpt where I could learn a specific piece, but if I didn't practice it, it wouldn't be top quality. And the same thing with, with aspiring musicians or other musicians, like you don't have to be born with innate talent, but if you really put your time and effort into it, you, you are, you become a musician.
0: So in spite of the fact that you were exposed to this because of who you grew up around, it also, no pun intended, resonated with you. You loved mm-hmm. learning and you loved playing.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I love music. I, I love music to this day, and I want to make sure that other people have this opportunity too.
0: So how and when did your family leave Ecuador and move to the States, and why Connecticut?
1: Yeah, I love telling the story, and it's actually, people call it a fairy tale, and I call it a soap opera, but you know, <laughs> the, the listeners or you will be the judges of that. So I was born in Ecuador with just to a single mother, and I grew up there until I was seven years old. And then when I was eight, she made the difficult decision, which I thank her for making this decision of migrating into the United States and leaving everything back in Ecuador just to start fresh, start new. We had an uncle and his brother. So he's not my blood uncle. It's his brothers that lived in Norwalk, Connecticut. And my mother called him up and said, hey, you know, I want to start new. Can you take us in? and my daughter and I um, into Connecticut. So he said, yes, of course, bring your daughter. Like that's the main priority that he said, don't leave her behind because oftentimes immigrants just say, I'll go first and then I'll bring back my children. But he said, bring her now. So we came, we had no idea where we were going. I had only heard of Disney World in the United (laughs) States Um, and then New York City too. So we arrived at the JFK airport and I was looking at the Whitestone Bridge. I was just so amazed by thinking that I was going the sky in, in the bridge and Connecticut became our home we've never you know I've never left Connecticut other than to to work but it really it really feels like my my hometown my home state and then as I started music in the schools my first violin teacher in the public schools David Durrell uh, became my mentor and he had he had not had children of his own so when I was in, in high school so many many years later decided to legally adopt me. My mother and him were not together in a, you know, in a relationship. It was more like a mentee to mentor relationship. And he helped me with college application process, with getting access to a high level music violin instructor, but it was an adult adoption. And afterwards, when I went into college, it's when him and my mother started a, a, a formal relationship together. So that's really like the fairy tale of how I migrated and how I was able to pick up music back in the United States.
0: That is a crazy story. <laughs> I was doing research about you, and there was a mention of David Durrell. Mm-hmm. I just assumed that was your father, and I thought, that's really interesting. Darrell doesn't sound Hispanic. And (laughs) in a million years, I wouldn't have expected you to go that route. That is, that's the stuff movies are made out of, Angie
1: right we should we should make a movie or a play or something about my story and and yes, when I go to meetings, obviously I have a you know white last name for the lack of a better word, <laughs> and people are trying to say, "Why, why do you look like this?" and you have an Angie, which is my nickname that my aunts just started calling me, my full name right. is Angelica, and Jorel is not a very Latino or Ecuadorian last name not for sure, for, not at
0: all. <laughs> Wow, he wore so many hats for you and your mom, mm-hmm. mentor, teacher. Father. What a wonderful thing to have those stars aligned and have him in your lives. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's, he, he's one of the first few angels that I met here in the United States. And I, you know, I could count them with my hands. And it's like, I would say five. He's, he's the
0: first one. He's one of them. What year was it that you and your mom came to the States?
1: I think it was 98 or 97.
0: So as you're on this trajectory and you're going through school, it was a no-brainer for you that you were going to major in music in college?
1: Yes. Yeah. I never thought of myself as anything else, and I was looking through my yearbook, The other day, as I was cleaning up, and I saw that I wanted to. When I grew up, I say I want to be a violinist and a journalist. My mother is a journalist, so I said I would do both. And now I I do music, so I never thought of doing anything else or having a backup career or or any other wonderful career trajectory that are out there.
0: So, did you set your sights on performance? Was that your number one goal back then?
1: Yeah, um, I wasn't sure of. The multiple branches of music, of the arts. So I loved performing the violin. I wanted to become a conductor. I wanted, I just explore so many things. So I didn't know that even social entrepreneurship or running an organization was, was viable. When I first came to the U.S., I used to watch Spanish television and it, they would have commercials about people that are a Hispanic pride, uh, orgullo hispano. So I just wanted to be a Hispanic pride. I wanted to make my community proud of who I am or who I was becoming. And that manifested itself as I am a violinist and I want to be a leader. I want to stand up for my community.
0: Was your transition relatively smooth? Did you feel comfortable here as you were growing up?
1: Yes, I loved it. Um, I mean, I love the United States. I would say times in Ecuador were, were quite challenging when I look back. It was a difficult childhood, but I, I didn't see it as difficult because I was just a kid and I was just happy to go play with my cousins and make music and, and do whatever I used to do. But in retrospect, I, I think that the United States has been so generous and welcoming to me and other immigrants. And I love Ecuador, but I'm, I'm so happy to be here.
0: You went to UConn mm-hmm. and you got a degree in music. And then what did you see yourself doing upon graduation?
1: Yeah, so I got into UConn, I got a full scholarship and that was a transformative moment in my life that I didn't realize how difficult it is to get into a university and to graduate without any types of student loans or feel the pressure of, am I going to be for that next semester or another year. So that was uh, one of the wonderful miracles that I've had or lessons in my life. When I got to Yukon, it was a culture shock. It was my first time leaving Fairfield County, Connecticut. So I had never gone farther up north. We didn't own a car. So it was just kind of like passing the bridge and getting rights to go to college and feeling like it was in the middle of nowhere. And I had to drive for two hours just to get to school, uh, to move into campus. But really taught me that there's a bigger world out there and that my little Norwalk, Connecticut mind was about to be exposed to to something better, to something bigger than me. And that's when I realized that I love music and I want to keep practicing and I want to keep getting better and learning new repertoire. But I was antsy at the time. And I said, there's so much to do that I am not going to be able to do all the things that I want to accomplish by being in a practice room and practicing my craft. I think that I can accomplish so much more if I explore research, if I explore repertoire, if I explore international partnerships. I explored early music instruments by joining the Collegium Musicum. And that's what created our first international project. So going to college was really an eye-opening experience for me. And once I graduated college, I said, all right, I no longer want to take the performance route you graduate you audition into orchestras you play this you freelance and that's how you make a living or you go to grad school I wanted to go to grad school and uh, become a conductor and study conducting and that was another route but I took I decided very purposely to take the roadless travel and and found it in tempo and that has really been you know the most rewarding professional experience so far.
0: When you talk about being a conductor, I had the pleasure of interviewing a woman named Kalina Bovell, who is a conductor currently of the Memphis Symphony Orchestra. And mm-hmm. I don't always like to get political, but mm-hmm. I thought to myself, she's got to be one of a handful of women. Wow. Uh, the numbers are getting larger, but she's also yeah. a woman of color. And wow. I would have to imagine that when you were entertaining the idea... No pun intended, of being mm-hmm. a conductor, it had to register with you mm-hmm. that there weren't too many females in that role.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. One and, and sorry to go off on a little tangent, but it's a it's a great anecdote that really shaped who I am now in terms of representation. And when I was in in my youth symphony, it was my first time seeing a woman conductor and playing in her orchestra. So for me, I was like, oh, I could do that. And I love that. And I, I want to get better so that I could master the violin, get a performance degree, and then go into conducting. So that was very inspiring for me. And then, you know, the whole Alondra de la Parra career and celebrity name came up, and I saw a Mexican conductor, and I said, I, I want to be like her. So <laughs> that was very, it was like seeing myself in these roles that I hadn't seen myself in before. Right,
0: right. They're very powerful when mm-hmm. you when you can strive for something like that and say yeah why can't i do this and i think mm-hmm. that that's very empowering so you bring up in tempo let's go in that direction mm-hmm. what was the catalyst for you and how old were you when you started this organization
1: yeah so i was 21 years old when i founded in tempo i had just graduated college and i founded in tempo officially uh with the paperwork that has to be done on 2011 so it was a tough decision because it's like when I graduated college, I was like what am I gonna do? I did mm-hmm. not apply to grad school, so it's not like I had a game plan to go to grad school. I was not auditioning or planning to to, to do performance my as uh, my primary role. And then I said within tempo let me start something that reflects what I did not see when I was growing up. So I wanted to have my culture reflected. And that was something that when I came to Ecuador, I had to get better at playing. I had to learn violin. I had to learn the classical repertoire. And my whole culture felt like it was being erased. And my language also felt like it was being erased because the classical music world that I lived here was not bilingual, was not immigrant. It did not have women or Children, immigrant children that look like me and sounded like me. So, I wanted to found Intempo so that it would promote Native instruments, Native cultures, Native repertoire, but also celebrate my love and, and, and many people's love for Western classical music. So, that was the impetus of Intempo. And I felt that we had to do this from a younger standpoint, like to start with children that may have the same story like me of migrating or being first generation immigrant children. And also give others the opportunity to, to learn and explore new cultures in a way that it's not combative. So that was the impetus of Intempo. And like I shared, I, I went to Yukon, I got a performance degree in violin and I never learned business or how to create a budget, what a business plan looks like. So that has been my own learning curve, but I've been so lucky to also have mentors and
0: access to other training opportunities. But it, it's an interesting contrast because here you work, can I put words in your mouth, an accomplished violinist Mm -hmm. who didn't necessarily see herself taking that next route of performing. Mm -hmm.
1: I would say that's probably my family's biggest, not disappointment because they're very proud of me, but yeah, it's like I was on that track, right, on that trajectory, and my grandpa's like how's the violin going? Every time I ask him, he asks, how's the violin playing? How's the violin going? And it's hard sometimes to explain to them that, yes, I am a performer. I'm always going to be a violinist. I identify myself as a violinist, but I feel that I can make a greater impact in not playing an instrument and doing that with my two hands, but using myself as a vehicle right. to achieving greater social change. And that is what Intempo's goal and greater vision is to achieve greater inclusion through cultural awareness and cultural equity.
0: Well, that just begs the question: how are you doing that? How is Intempo doing that? And is it is it a national slash international organization?
1: So we've had international partnerships, and we, you know, when on our founding years, we continued our partnership with the United States. State Department and partner with embassies in uh, Central and South America to promote Native instruments from those cultures and to share back repertoire here in the United States through a cultural remittance program. So for this, we also partner with the National Association of Latino Arts and Cultures. I would describe Intempo as a statewide effort currently, and I would love for Intempo to be able to take on a national platform, national visibility but for that it would take more partnerships and more resources. And the way that Intempo is accomplishing our work and our mission to make classical music and native instruments and repertoire relevant, accessible and inclusive is through our music education programs. We have the Intempo Music School where we teach currently 75 children to choose if they want to play a classical instrument like the violin, the, or you know, the orchestral instruments, or they want to learn a native instrument like charango from South America, like guitar, either Spanish guitar, classical guitar, or folk guitar. And we just acquired or we were just donated a marimba, so it could be that you know, native instrument from Guatemala, from Central America, which truly reflects our local communities. And within Temple, we have other partnerships with Title I schools so that we can really make this accessible to the school students while the arts are being funded and often disregarded for the level of engagement that they can have, especially during this pandemic. We have another great partnership with our symphonic partners at the Norwood Youth Symphony, which is to have an annual concert that presents a third of Western orchestral music that people would hear on on an orchestra concert. A third is native repertoire orchestrated specifically for orchestra and native instruments. And the the last third of it is a fusion. It's a crossover of our students playing their native instruments with the uh, symphony musicians playing together. So that is another one of our flagship programs.
0: Does Intempo work to encourage composing?
1: Yes. So we're working on creativity with our students. We don't have a composer in-house, but we have great composers on our advisory and honorary board. But one of the things that we're doing now is over these years, every year we've had a cultural crossover concert. We have commissioned specific arrangements of Latin American Caribbean repertoire to be made for an orchestra, for Native instruments, sometimes even a children's choir and or a featured soloist. So you may have steel pants come playing with an orchestra so we've developed a catalog of over 45 pieces and I'm very excited about that because that's one of the issues that the classical music scene is facing that orchestras may want to program something and if the repertoire is not there the composers are not there or the orchestrations are readily available then now this is a solution for them.
0: Do you have designs on in tempo going national?
1: Uh, it would be my desire. We don't have yet a, a formal design. So I welcome people that wanna support me and guide me and advise me on these national efforts. But it would be my my dream come true to be able to take this experiment essentially with a pilot. It was a, it it felt like a prototype when I was founding in Temple. And now that we're getting ready to celebrate our 10th year anniversary next year, then absolutely I would love it for To be able to take a a national scope.
0: Do you look to expand in Tempo's reach beyond the Latino community?
1: Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that I'm always mindful about, and our organization is always mindful about, is to be reflective of our community or reflective of how the world is changing. So we reflect our, our demographics and we encourage other people to think about who is in my local demographic. So if you live in I'm just, you know, putting this as an example in San Francisco, there's a huge, there may be a huge Tibetan population per se, then let's reflect them. And our next four years, artistic programming consists of India. So having an India, in diaspora crossover, African crossover, especially around Afro-Latino communities as well. Mm -hmm. And an Americana, like the American songbook or an Americana uh, component so that we also do Research and we learn more. I learn more about what the traditional American ways of making music are. So, we do have a four year plan to expand beyond just Latin American music.
0: Where's the funding for Intempo come from?
1: Multiple sources. Uh, we're still trying to attract more funding, as always. One of our largest and multi year, the first larger institutions to make a multi year commitment was Carnegie Hall through their uh, Play USA program. And we just luckily got a two-year renewal of our grant. So they would have been supporting us for the past five years. We get funding from the state of Connecticut, you know, Spread Music Now, which made me their artist ambassador. And we just write grants a lot. We unfortunately don't have a large individual donor pool right now. So that's our own efforts to to grow our philanthropic individual giving. But it's, it's a diversified, funding stream and we have to work very hard with a small team to to keep it sustainable
0: as i mentioned in the introduction you not have commuted but have gone back and forth to ecuador uh, Mm -hmm. for several different causes what was that like when you performed before pope francis in 2015
1: yeah that was um A wonderful experience, not just professionally, but personally and spiritually. So I'm not, I grew up in a religious Catholic household, but I am not as, you know, my grandpa would be that he goes to church every single day or went to church every single day, but performing for Pope Francis and just being in his, in his presence and feeling. So the energy of people that were devout to him and that saw him as hope for the world and in the Catholic religion. And me personally, just to see guidance and comfort in my own identity was was great. And we performed the piece in Quechua. So the singer and composer was Jesus Pitamba. And for us to be welcoming Pope Francis in Latin America in my hometown in Ecuador in a church where I used to go sing with my grandpa on every Saturday morning, was, was like everything was coming together and it was a, an unforgettable moment.
0: Oh, I bet. Pandemic notwithstanding, have you been back to Ecuador? No, unfortunately,
1: no. Um, one of the first things that I want to do after it's safe to travel and after Ecuador is in good conditions to welcome
0: right people,
1: right. I definitely want to go back and visit my family and, and just be reconnected to my, to my native land.
0: I can't imagine what it must be like for your mother as well as for David Durrell to watch what you have accomplished. It just must take them over the moon.
1: Yeah, thank you. They are very proud and they've always been so supportive of me. So I'm very grateful and I want to take this opportunity to go on the record and thank them for all of their sacrifices and efforts for me. As a parent, it's tough because you want your child to have a set future, right? Or clear and be stable and find stability. And then when I decided to, to go into a new venture and to just say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and take this risk. Uh, It must've been hard on them, but now they find themselves going and responding to reporters who want to get their side of the story and get a quote from my father, especially to say, Hey, what, what were you thinking or what did you tell Angie when she first came to you with this idea? So, but they're very proud and very supportive. Thankfully.
0: Not for nothing. (laughs) I mean, you're young. You should be writing your autobiography for all the the (laughs) shit that you've done. I mean, it is just amazing. And I think that, All of your other accolades that I didn't mention, that you're an artist ambassador for Spread Music Now, the first Latina to be appointed to the Inaugural Arts and Cultural Commission for the city of Stanford. You've given TED Talks. You've spoken at Princeton and Harvard. (laughs) Does (laughs) does none of this make your head spin, woman?
1: Uh, no, I'm very (laughs) honored, but I'm very mindful of just staying grounded and saying I can do more and there's more to be done. But I'm very appreciative of all of these opportunities that I've had.
0: Do you ever think about performing?
1: Yeah. Um, so I used to perform and I had my own little band with my father, which my father is or was the bassist in my Latin ensemble, like Latin quartet. So that's how I used to get by with a few gigs when I was still in Yukon or the first few years of in- the first year of Temple, mainly when we were just deciding or determining what we were going to do. But then it became a moment that I couldn't, I didn't have time to practice or schedule times for the, for the group to get together and then finish a deadline or go to a meeting and do all the things that I've been working on for the past 10 years. But I always love to perform, maybe not in a professional presenter's world, but, you know, like, like I said, when I go to Ecuador, my grandpa will not let me in the door if I don't have my violin on me. So <laughs> that's always part of my day to day.
0: Do you play at home?
1: I do, yeah. I like to, you know, warm up and stay, stay in touch with, with my instrument and say, oh, I like this new piece, or I'd love to learn this other piece, or I like this song on the radio. Let me just figure out what the structure is and how I can make a violin version of it. So, yeah, I do it. And then I just often just find myself, though, trying to put the spotlight, though, on our, on our students, because they're really the next generation of musicians.
0: So what haven't you done? If I was your fairy godmother, and I love asking this question of my mm-hmm. guests, what do you want from me?
1: Oh, wow, I've never been asked this question. Um, what haven't I done? I think I just want to keep growing my vision, growing my dream, and I want to make sure that in tempo is set for the future. you know that's one of the things that I jokingly say and and it's not a matter of joke, but if something were to happen to me, I want to have a succession plan. I want to make sure that in my will, there's something that says someone will be responsible for carrying out in Temple. So that's one of the things that I'm that I'm concerned about now, especially with, with the pandemic that it has made us rethink a lot of things about the way we operate or the way we handle our, our day-to-day. And I would love to just for everybody to learn more about different cultures and use that as a positive way to bring, you know, social cohesion and understanding.
0: Are you basically the only person running in Tempo? No, not anymore. So I
1: was a solopreneur for the first few years, but now I'm so grateful that with a great board member, board of directors, I have a grant manager who is my right hand and I want to give credit to Robin, our grants manager. We just hired a communications associate who's helping us with getting the word out about Intemple. So, this podcast and other um, interviews will be helpful towards our you know, national awareness and communications presence. We have a program coordinator who oversees all of our programs and the multiple partnerships that we have. And I have a wonderful team of five teaching artists who actually do the day to day teaching the kids. And now they've transitioned to an online virtual setting. So I'm proud to have a wonderful, wonderful team.
0: This, and I use the term in quotes, ends once they graduate high school, they go from elementary through Mm -hmm. high school within tempo?
1: Um, Not anymore. So one of the things that we wanted to do is, yes, we could only take them so far, or once they went into college, that was something that they were they were just, you know, we, we get them our blessing and they, went, they were sent off. But one of the wonderful things that we were able to create this year in honor of who was our lead teaching artist, Terry Hess, who passed away to cancer, is we created a memorial scholarship fund in her honor to support our graduating high school seniors into their career of college and bring back our alumni. So we have, because we're a young organization and, uh, and young students, We have three alumni that are in college right now. One is at Wesleyan. Another one is at University of North Carolina School of Fine Arts. And the other one is at the University of Bridgeport. So we gave out three college scholarships for them to go to college. And we're hoping that we can keep them engaged and keep supporting them until they finish college so that they can continue being our stories of success. And to say with music, with cultural entrepreneurship, and with supporting each other, we can help our students not only give them a skill and teach them through music education, but also help them achieve financial mobility and financial freedom after they get a college degree.
0: Wow, wow. What a mission and how Mm -hmm. wonderful that uh, you clearly are living the dream. And who would have thought when you were six years old that this is where you would be?
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Never in my wildest dreams that I think that this would be my version of you know supporting my community.
0: Well, it's wonderful the work you're doing and the world certainly could use a hell of a lot more Angie Durrell's. I wanna thank you for sharing your life and your passion and your work with us.
1: Thank you so much, Sandy. And thank you for taking the time to hear my story, to hear what I say. It could better be a fairy tale or a soap opera. So thank you so <laughs> much for supporting me and supporting a tempo.
0: Oh listen, don't thank me. Totally my pleasure. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.